0: Apparently, not a single person got the joke that after we covered Herb Abrams, we went out of business for a year.
1: is this where we reveal that you're this meta super artist we're gonna do herb abrams and then disappear forever <laughs> like it was all a long con of like we have to do it enough we can't just do it like for six months no no no. no. we have to like do this for like three years and then just disappear admit it nicholas
0: I, I wish i was comedically brilliant enough to plan this but uh i'm sure we'll talk about it at some point but it, it, it was not planned
1: Okay, maybe we'll put, talk about it. Or maybe we'll just sweep it under the rug, like 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 every problem that wrestlers ever have. And boy, do we have a lot of them to talk <laughs> about today that are going to be unfurled for the world. Well,
0: back up in your ass with the resurrection, Tim Bell pod. It's the song from Office Space. I'm Nick Alexander, and I throw up the referee X every time I drop my phone. I am, of course, joined by natural-born camper, the man scout, Jake Manning.
1: You need to write these down, and... By this time this is released, I would have already announced that I have a Pro tea Store, so oh, nice. uh, plug right at the top for that. Um, <laughs> I'm going to ha- and you're probably going to see every time Nicholas has a different intro, I'll have a different shirt because now that I know how to create designs and upload them, it's super easy now. And I just upload stuff and it turns into a shirt and money goes into my account, so it's great. I don't know why I was <laughs> so resistant to it.
0: And we are joined by a surprise third man. Six foot four, two hundred and fifty pounds of twisted, still and sex appeal. Tyler Wood.
2: Oh, who's this guy with anyway? Hey, thank you guys for having me.
1: Thank you for dropping a leg and giving the thumbs up, looking at us like you're lost. Like, hey, I'm the third man, right? Hey, anytime,
2: <laughs> brother. Anytime.
1: <laughs> He's in that brother, okay? That R gets a little bit harder every time. So.
2: I am losing my hair, so I'm on my way.
0: Today, it is all about a new us, new Jack. We are covering one of the most violent badasses to ever walk the face of the earth, much less be a pro wrestler, Mr. Jerome Young.
1: When I think of New Jack, it's weird because I've had a lot of really good interactions with New Jack, but leading up until those nice times, I've been terrified that they could go south (laughs) and at times it's going really well and then it immediately turns really awkward, then it would go back to okay. So that whole feeling that I get when things are happening really good in my life, and then all of a sudden something bad's gonna come, like that feeling, my interactions with New Jack reinforce that negative behavior, <laughs> and then I get a trade about myself, so he just contributes to more of my therapy, so.
0: And Tyler, as a newer wrestling fan, born in 2019, uh, yep. what are your thoughts on New Jack?
2: I started watching in 2003 and I uh, didn't really know a lot about New Jack, and I'll get into a little bit more of this later. The majority of my New Jack knowledge came from his shoot fights, not, not like MMA, but the ones where he would shoot on people in the ring as a fat little teenager watching those, and uh, New Jack scared the shit out of me.
1: <laughs> such a mark the way they say shoot fights. Oh, you're, you're, such a, just a, you're just such a glowing young little mark that I just want to hold up to the sky, you know, like oh, it's a shiny, bright little little mark. You, oh, I, little internet. Do oh, you, you, you follow Dave Meltzer on Twitter? How's Barry <laughs> Alvarez doing the day? Oh, so I want to squish those cheeks that are all covered in fur right now. Would it surprise you at all to know
2: that I've never been punched in the face?
1: <laughs> this this is an audio format, not a visual format, Tyler Wood. So <laughs> people people won't find that as funny as I did.
0: All right, let's uh, see if we can still do this. Jerome Young was born January 3rd, 1963 in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you take the fictional character, New Jack, and imagine what that guy's childhood would have been like, it is probably really close to the real actual childhood of Jerome Young because it's uh, pretty nuts. Jack was the youngest of his siblings. His mom was abusive towards him. Jack's dad was an alcoholic who was abusive towards his mom. His mom also apparently cheated on him. Well, his mom also apparently cheated on his dad. She wasn't like off raising other kids, like like a cheating mom or whatever. This cheating led to new Jack's dad stabbing his mom in front of the whole family when Jerome was around four-ish or five-ish years old. So uh the, the apple doesn't fall far from the the stab tree.
2: How many times did she did he stab her? Five times. Five times. Five times. <laughs> Five times. Five times he stabbed her.
1: You work in a booker T joke? Like <laughs> for stabbing? I oh I I I don't know how quite to reply to that, but I, I can parse the little piece of like if you know anything about New Jack and you know anything about Greensboro, you're like yeah, that makes sense. There's a lot of similarities and parallels, I think, to to New Jack and Richard Pryor, more than what you think. And we'll probably get into a couple of them a little bit later on. So much in fact, like when I did the virtual gimmick table, when we did the New Jack episode, I wore a shirt with Richard Pryor's picture on it. So I've always felt like there was a lot of similarities there in, in a guy that can speak truth after having such a tumultuous, I think I said that right, accidentally, um, childhood. In, in that, for whatever reason, people that have a hard time displaying their emotions and use their fists and violence to convey their feelings, that it produces a child that is such a good communicator via his words and explaining to people and connect with people uh, verbally as opposed to physically, which is most of their upbringing.
2: That was very eloquently put, Jake.
1: Now,
0: all this stabbing got New Jack's mom thinking, maybe she should leave. A few months later, she tried to leave so jack's dad shot her in the leg with a gun and little baby new jack's just soaking all this up
1: just little jerome sitting there just soak it in soak it in information <laughs> this is how you treat loved ones that's how you treat people you love soak it in soak it in
2: you know all things considered he turned out pretty crazy but like <laughs> no
1: for all of that wrapped into a, a little package yeah he held it together long enough for us to know who he is
0: And then to wrap up his fifth year of life, his dad would die of a heart attack and New Jack believes that his mom actually poisoned his dad because she was a nurse and had access to tons of things that could potentially kill his dad on top of having an insurance policy on him after his father's death jack's mom moved the family down to georgia and jerome was a uh, a scrappy kid got into a lot of fights but he would soon channel all that violence and anger into becoming a really really good football player not only was jerome a good football player in high school he also was good at robbing people with his friends and both careers would come to a screeching halt when he got arrested Drummed it two years in jail and got out around 21-ish years old. And he went to college to play college ball for Clark Atlanta University. Same place that Spike Lee and Mace from Mace and Puff Daddy, uh, they, they went there too.
1: Tyler, do you know who Mace is? I know you're a new wrestling fan. I know who Puff Daddy is. <laughs> oh, I bet you do. I bet you do. But you, you don't understand the importance of Mace and how like, oh man, this guy is He's going to be like the next big thing. And then he, the puffy would never let him out of his shadow. And I remember we used to make jokes about it, like, oh, you know, the record sales are going down for bad boy records. Sorry, Mace, <laughs> you're going to be the next to go.
0: In a world of rapping fast, Mace raps slow. And I appreciated it. So Jerome, he went to prison, right? And, you know, that, that's bad. But when he got out, he he, he went to college. And I think a lot of dudes that age, they get in trouble, they go to prison, and then they spend the rest of their lives going in and out of prison, in and out of prison. And, you know, he at least tried to, like, right the ship a little bit, went back to school.
1: To be fair, he did also try to go back
0: to (laughs) prison. That is true. Several times throughout his life.
1: And to to be fair, Ronald Reagan invented this system. (laughs) So just to remind everybody, if you guys are curious, he's the one that invented this system.
0: After a uh, solid college career, Jerome tried out for the Atlanta Falcons, but he got hurt during that process, so he was out of the football game. I saw somewhere that he may have played some semi-pro football, but I can't confirm that.
1: Oh, I can confirm that, considering his intensity to violence. He seems like a guy that would play semi-pro ball. I remember seeing like a football, America's Game, and they were talking about semi-pro guys and They were just guys that just wanted to beat the shit out of people. Guys that, like, you know what? I'm not about going to a bar and messing it up. I want to go to, like, a field (laughs) somewhere, like a junior high football field, and I get together with other consenting 35-year-old men with varying degrees of injuries, and we just take cheap shots at each other with pads on. And let's put helmets on because I got a day job to work tomorrow.
2: It's really a shame, too, because New Jack was uh, violent enough and crazy enough that he probably would have done well in the NFL.
0: <laughs> what What are you talking about? There's not a long list of shit violent NFL players. Oh, you're right. I'm completely <laughs> out of line.
2: I apologize. Do you have trouble differentiating between what's real in wrestling and what's a work? Do you spend countless hours online every day scouring message boards and virus riddled dirt sheet sites for the latest gossip about professional wrestlers? Do you own a replica championship belt? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you may be a mark. What's a mark? It's like a jabroni, but worse. Here at Mark Support, we can help you overcome the worst of your markness. Did you, a grown man, start crying while talking to a professional wrestler? It's okay. We've all been there. Here at Mark Support, we can help you through it email your worst wrestling mark story to wrestling mark mail at gmail.com to get some help again that's wrestling mark mail at gmail.com
0: either way he'd uh soon become a bell bondsman and start hunting people for money jack would do that for about a decade and there's a rumor that he uh had some justifiable homicides and I've heard him confirm this 100%. I've also heard him say it was 100% a work. And that brings up the fact that some of the lore around New Jack is made up. Like when your gimmick is being the scariest, baddest motherfucker in the world and someone's like, he killed a guy. You're just like, yeah, fuck it. I killed a man. So it's, it's really hard to pick apart what's true, what's not when you're talking about this big personality that uh, New Jack built for himself.
1: Also, too, wrestlers have this ability that you are a you are walking, breathing character, and you have to be that character 24-7. And when you talk about being whoever and whatever you are as a character, you have to embody that. You almost have to believe so it comes off organically. Wrestlers fall into this all the time. They fall into the trap of believing who their wrestling character is as being their personality, when really it's like, no, this is who I am. Uh, this is the character I present, and then you can get away from it. And it's also usually an extension of yourself. So that's the other part of as as well, is that you're, you know, trying to mesh fantasy with reality. And then obviously New Jack is still kind of in that era of kayfabe and being like whoever you say you are, you have to be that in the gas station. Somebody might see it on the way to the show, that type of old school mentality. So obviously, if you like you want to come off as this natural born killer for lack of a better term, you have to start believing it yourself, even though it is not true. And then all of a sudden, the lie becomes the truth is essentially what it is because you said the lie multiple times over in front of a live audience dozens hundreds of times you've said it in front of a video camera hundreds and dozens of times you've had people walk up to you say hey when you said this i heard about this that was crazy which you did and you have to go yes that's exactly what i did when you know deep in your heart that it's not but then you've told the lie so many times it becomes truth and it becomes fact it's a good
2: point uh but i also feel like it's a bit of a far jump to be from like I'm I'm a bad motherfucker I'm I'm legit to uh, stabbing a guy in Florida twenty <laughs> years later. Which we don't want to jump ahead, but like, could he have worked himself that much into the character that he pulled that?
1: You think? I mean, you see Rick Flair like what he's become, and that's all I can legally say <laughs> right now because <laughs> I've had lawsuits threatened against me by that man. So. <laughs> He is the dirtiest player of the game, and I can say that he has evolved into the dirtiest player in the game of life.
0: Eventually, someone came by and informed Jerome that after being a football player and then a bell bondsman, the last stage of his Pokemon evolution would be to get into pro wrestling. In his late 20s, he would start training and eventually meet Ray Candy, who really gave him the push into the business.
1: Ray Candy, it's a name that gets batted about a lot. Ray Candy was a tremendous wrestler and actually main evented in Memphis for a short period of time. And I remember he took over a talk show in Memphis that was actually Jerry the King Lawler's. And Ray Candy was the host of it because Memphis was such a big deal and Jerry Lawler was such a big deal there. He had the Jerry Lawler Show, which was a late night talk show on local Memphis TV. And they were doing this angle where Ray Candy took out Jerry the King Lawler. And I'll tell you what, Ray Candy was fantastic. Because all he did was just talk shit about Jerry Lawler for an hour and a half. Like, he brought guests on that just made fun of him. Everything was about, like, he would listen to somebody's story, and he'd be like, yeah, yeah, that's real good. But then I tell you guys about how Jerry Lawler's <laughs> shit, like, it was just, like, <laughs> like, everything just revolved back to it. And it was amazing how many times he could just slander Jerry Lawler's name. He also was... Involved in a lot of the territory system. I think he was part of the highly racially sensitive Zambui Express uh, that was managed by Paul Jones. I don't but know anything large-
2: about Ray Candy, but having just heard that name, I can only imagine <laughs> what that tag team looked like.
1: Oh, you, it, it's completely opposite what you think it would. They were dressed in army fatigues. Oh, okay. All right, yeah. it is a little... Uh, all right. I was thinking yeah. uh, two Kamalas, <laughs> but... No, no, no. It was more like, uh, uh, gosh, what is that dictator's name? Itzhak Ramin. Che Guevara?
0: Amir Gaddafi? No. It's, it,
1: it, no. It's it, Ramin. Itzhak it, uh, Ramin. He was a African dictator. He was the, the last king of Scotland. Yeah, <laughs> Forrest Whitaker. Yep. So I think, I think that's kind of what they were going with that.
2: Gotcha. Okay.
0: Jack said he started working in North Georgia wrestling in 92, making him about 28 or 29, depending on the month. So pretty late start. I didn't get much about his time here, but I assume he's just, you know, a green noob, learning the fundamentals, figuring out his shtick. But it's really hard for me to see Jack as this like humble rookie, like getting hazed in the locker room and stuff. Like, I just can't picture it.
2: He wasn't really. Uh, from what I heard on the, his Art of Wrestling interview, he was originally going to train with somebody else and they came in and they're like, OK, well, we, we've got the spot for you. Are you OK with losing? And he's like, <laughs> no, no, I don't see myself losing. I see myself winning. And he's like, well, I uh, don't know what to tell you because we only got spots for uh, people to lose right now. He's like, all right, peace and <laughs> left. His art of wrestling podcast is good, by the way. That's a that's a good lesson. So stop
1: listening to this podcast. Go over to the art of wrestling podcast, and that's all you need to know. And then uh, good night, everybody. Just that one, just that one episode. That's, that's the only one. This is the weirdest. This is the weirdest ten bell pod format ever. We did we build you up, and then all of a sudden, like listen to the rest of the uh, on somebody else's podcast and go over there. But yeah, I don't see New Jack being a young greenhorn at all. As a, as a wrestling trainer, I can see him being the worst wrestling student of all time. You would try to correct him and be like, nope, that's not right. Um, and like, oh, okay, well, fuck me then, I guess. So And they go about their way. But he clearly knew how to wrestle because if you've ever seen Jack, there's like a period in time where New Jack always made a point to let people know he knew how to wrestle. Like he would do like tackle, drop down, leapfrog, get it again type stuff. Like he'd always try and do like a wrestling respect spot. So Maybe he was the worst wrestling student of all time, or maybe he was smart enough and perceptive enough to pick it up immediately and there was minimal pushback when somebody had to correct something on him because he got it right yeah. in the first I try. I mean, he was a,
0: almost a professional level athlete, so he has, he has that base there, so he couldn't have been terrible.
1: There's a lot of gray area,
2: I think, in that early training of his because he had a friend who trained at the power plant for a little bit, and he said at the time he was bounty hunting and selling drugs, so he's like, fuck it, I guess I'll give pro wrestling a try. And the two of them training together was like Stevie Wonder trying to teach Ray Charles how to drive some of the fuck <laughs> where. And I can just imagine like a young new Jack trying some wrestling spots and like the other dude screwing one up and then him like probably trying to kill the dude.
1: Well, it's probably no different when people would go to like a UFC gym. And they like I I don't know how to do MMA stuff, and then show their friend who's not <laughs> in the class. Like I, I can imagine it being a lot like that. Like this is how you do a triangle choke, or like this is how you do a, like a key lock, and trying to instruct it. And they wrestle around, and like we did training today. And there's been a lot of schools that start off by somebody who went to a legitimate school for three months, and then they go I know enough, and I can teach people now. And then they start a school. And those guys are only as good as that guy is. And then the same thing happens at that school. And then they break off and start another school. And then all of a sudden, like these, it's like a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy, which was pretty much prevalent when I got into wrestling in 2003. There was like every town had its own wrestling school, quote unquote, where it was like, this person was at this school for three months or this person did jobs on WCW because Italian Stallion and George South they had him go to TV and get the Steiners beat the shit out of them. And now they're on TV and they have their own wrestling school now and they're running shows and 300 people show up because there's one guy named Stone Cold Chad Austin. And that's where we're at right now.
0: So eventually Jack made his way to Memphis in the USWA, and this is where he'd start going by New Jack, a name inspired by the 1991 film New Jack City, a movie where the big city is just as much of a character as the two people falling in love. I don't know. I've never seen it. New Jack would also start his tag team career in Memphis, uh, capturing some tag team gold with his partner, Homeboy, in uh, June 93, holding the titles for about uh, a month before losing them in the traditional Memphis Hot potato style.
2: I love ring names like uh, Homeboy, Wife Beater, <laughs> etc. Just those that you hear them and you know uh, that's not a good thing.
1: Yeah, especially in Memphis because it was probably – a white dude that came up with that. You know, what's your guys' names? And New Jack just knew, I'm New Jack, New Jack City. He was on a path. And then the other guy was like, oh, no. And they're like, <laughs> well, you're a homeboy because they saw an episode of A Living Color or it was on in the background and they actually didn't change the channel after the episode of The Simpsons. You know, whatever it is. And this guy is homeboy.
2: So New Jack actually gave himself a little bit of an ultimatum too. I don't know if you saw any of this where he said if if he wasn't on TV in 2 years he'd quit. Uh. Jake, have you ever given yourself an ultimatum like that?
1: Oh yeah, and I've given myself extensions. <laughs> like I've definitely I've I've definitely have done that. I've done it over and over and over. That's why I'm still here. So, can you I, give us
2: your first one? Like as soon as you got into wrestling, did you have one like your first match out of training, you're like, "Okay, in X amount of time, I'm going to be doing this."
1: Well, I never put like an X amount of time on it just because I <laughs> I didn't know how long it would take because of the path wasn't all that clear. I
2: think that's just a goal, not an ultimatum then.
1: Yeah, but I've definitely been like, hey, if you're not successful by 33, I'm just going to straight quit. Mm. And now here I am at 40. So listen, Tyler, if you're asking me all the compromises I've made since 33, (laughs) good fucking (laughs) luck. We could start a whole podcast about that. But I definitely know I put 33 in because that's when Eddie Gilbert died. I was like, if I can't make it big. When I'm 33, then I deserve to die. <laughs> it's a very harsh ultimatum, but I'm obviously still here, so obviously I made a compromise. But, <laughs> but all on the you. compromise in between. Good, yeah. good
2: on you not comparing yourself to Jesus dying at, at
1: 33. <laughs> Teddy Gilbert, not Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> same thing, I mean, same thing. Just, just another patron saint, if you will. <laughs>
0: hey everyone it's nick from timbell pod and i just wanted to say that the only reason i did this podcast was for the money <laughs> and i go beach and there you straight to patreon.com slash pod where you can help support the show there you'll find shirts with our new logo a bonus content tier you can even just support the show for as little as $1. And of course, that's assuming you stupid Hicks from Insert Phone 2 can afford a dollar. I thank your favorite sports team sucks. And if you got a problem with it, you can find me at patreon.com slash 10bellpod. Jack would soon leave USWA to go to Smoky Mountain Wrestling, pairing up with WCW and WWF enhancement talent Mustafa Saeed to form the Gangsters, And this is where shit starts taking off for our boy Newsome Jackson. <laughs> so, Smoky Mountain was kind of like pro wrestling in the middle of a Trump rally. And the owner, Booker, manager, tennis coach, uh, Jim Cornette, wanted the gangsters to be a tag team racist against white people. And after New Jack explained that while he could be prejudiced against white people, racism involves an unequal distribution of power on the basis of race, which is deeply rooted in American politics, economic zoning, criminal justice, all the way to something like beauty standards and representation on TV. He then told Cornette that he gets the gist of what he means. And yes, he will piss (laughs) off some honkies.
1: This area where Smoky Mountain ran. I actually, a large part of my my early career as well, happened in that Southwest Virginia. Not Southwest Virginia, but Southwest Virginia, which is almost worse than West Virginia. I don't know how. (laughs) That part of the Commonwealth is, there's nothing wealthy or common fucking about that place. It was a lot of like old towns like Hayside, Virginia, Grundy, Virginia. They were old, smoky mountain towns, and this promoter ran a lot of them. And to say that your description of them being highly racist, Nicholas, you know, there's a lot of things you've said on this podcast that you could say, oh, well, Nick's put an intellectual of flavor on it. No, that is the most correct assessment of that entire area. In 2006, one of the school mascots, this is, this is not the shocking part, but we'll get to it in a second, is that in 2006, there was still a school mascot was the Rebels for one of the schools we wrestled wrestle that. Not, not a shocking thing. And then they also had the doors to the school being a large painted Confederate flag. Once again, racist undertones and everything that existed or overtones or whatever that, that are associated with that, you know, you maybe you can swuff that under the rug. But then coming into that town, there is a sign that says, do not let the sun go down on your black ass. Oh, 2006. And I haven't been back in that town in a very long time. And I I don't know if it's been taken down. And if you told me that it wasn't, I wouldn't be surprised because that's the type of place it was. And we were traveling with two guys that were that were Mexican that moved from LA to be wrestlers. And that here they're wrestling in this area and seeing their interactions was very interesting. And of course, we had a black manager with us as well and he would go to these areas and try and sell merch and like it was very touch and go even in 2006 even so much in fact uh, we'll tell the story again at some time in the future i'm sure but there was a match between tracy smothers and the promoter stan the man lee in which if tracy smothers lost they would burn the confederate flag <laughs> and the promoter thought it was a good idea to have tracy lose so not only are they burning the Confederate flag, which is a symbol of their school, the rebels, also, too, is a symbol of everything they obviously believe in, judging by everything and how they've acted. And it got very tense very soon. And if, it, if some of the baby faces didn't assess the situation and be like, I think we need to save the promoter because he's got to pay us at the end <laughs> of the night <laughs> and, and make a big save. Uh, for the Confederate flag in 2006. (laughs) They had to make a big big say, but we did it for money. So I feel like America, the American way is still intact because we did it for money because it was a capitalist society. But those are the type of areas and that's how they were in 2006. Jack was there 14, 15 years earlier. So do you think it got better or whether it got progressively worse (laughs) in 2006? Or do you think it was like way worse back then? You decide... If if the picture that I'm painting of 2006 is bad, just think about everything. Rewind everything in your mind about anything. It could be about computers, it could be about phones, it could be about TVs. Rewind it back 14 years, and you can't tell me that it's better. I'm sure the same thing can be said about racism and race relations. If you rewind it back 14 years, probably wasn't better, and that's the area where New Jack was doing New Jack things. (laughs)
0: Performing in the Deep South's hoots and hollers and elementary schools named after Klansmen, New Jack would lead the gangsters through Smoky Mountain Tag Team division, all while giving props to OJ, hanging white baby dolls from nooses, and having their biggest feud with the Rock and Roll Express, Ricky Morton, and Robert Gibson. That OJ promo.
1: (laughs) It's It's a good promo. (laughs) I... (laughs) It's been talked about in many other things. When you when need you we do any type of thing on New Jack, the absolute balls as an artist to do that 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 is either the most amount of balls or the most amount of stupid. And I don't think New Jack is a stupid man. I feel like New Jack would have calculated that there is some sort of risk that will come from this line. Now he may have misjudged the degree of that. But I feel like he knew that there was a risk in saying that. And I just, I can't imagine having the balls to say something like that. Knowing that you are going to travel this region where this TV tape is going to go out. You're going to travel this region in the cloak of darkness. So you're going to go from town to town. You're going to be in a different town Tuesday, different town Wednesday, different town Thursday. Or whatever the loop was for Smoky Mountain. It might have been like a Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Looping around in the dark. In a car that, you know, is technically a territory wrestler. His car doesn't work all that well. 3 a.m., break down and have to interact with those people. A tow truck driver alone in the darkness by a road in the middle of nowhere.
2: And it's not even just if they break down either. It's if they see two black guys in a car. That's reason enough. Like, what are you guys doing around here?
1: Oh, he's going to get that question a million times over and, and microaggressions left and right. But also, too, you've bored an entire vat of gasoline on a fire. And if they recognize you, then you are you are the bullseye of, of their anger. And then you have walked into a store in, I'm sure, a state where people are heavily armed, they have knives, they have a multitude of weapons. Just walking to your car from a convenience store at one thirty at night after wrestling a show that the same people that were at that show were stopping at that same convenience store? Insane insane that you would be willing to just take a chance on your safety in that way like people have talked about all of this promo and like oh i can't believe this but like knowing that area and nobody's talked about just the simplest of things that could have happened i i can't imagine the amount of danger that he put himself into he had to have known and if he knew even a tenth of it he's got the biggest balls that probably has ever existed in pro wrestling
2: New Jack doesn't strike me as anyone who would even hesitate to say some crazy shit because he knows he can back up most of it in a physical confrontation.
1: Well, and also, too, I think he's a, he's an instigator. Yeah. He wants to say the thing that, that makes you feel uncomfortable. And and that's where I think that there's the, those parallels of Richard Pryor in that he feels those things that you're not supposed to say makes him the most real and authentic. And that's essentially what he's trying to be at, at every turn is is authentic and unique and original and say the things you're not supposed to say and i I really feel like that's really what his ultimate goal is and like i said this is this is definitely one of those areas where that parallel that i mentioned earlier exists between you know him and richard Pryor is is understanding the consequences of these actions like there may be less people that like me because of this but this is a thing that i feel like should be said for who i am and the things i want to say and I think that's the, that's the brilliant side of it as well. But with the brilliance, becomes there's a, a large amount of danger.
2: They also set up an inverse Rodney King beating with uh, Ricky Morton, I think it was, of the Rock and Roll Express, or I guess both members of the Rock and Roll Express. And then they got some blowback from the NAACP out of Knoxville. And uh, Mr. Jack said some things that uh, none of us can repeat. But they had a, a very good feud from for all intents and purposes with the rock and roll express and he said that he learned a lot working with ricky morton and uh who Gip- robert, robert Gipson, Gipson. Gipson. for okay. christ's
1: sake am i am i here to be wrestling his <laughs> dude, story dude, uh, i swear to god you don't know what the rock and roll express no, is I, like I'm, i won't allow you i won't allow you to stammer I knew for another second i knew it was i, Gibson. I, I don't care <laughs> I, I you no, not going to happen. Nick, did we vet him before we, we brought him on as a host? Yeah, but I'm not He's, 400 years like old. I'm sorry. Not, I feel like that's question number one. Do you want to be in a wrestling podcast? Question number one. Do you know the members of the Rock and Roll Express? Ricky Morton, Robert Gibson. I knew it was Ricky Morton. Yeah, I, know. I know
2: Ricky Morton. He can do a Canadian Destroyer.
1: Oh, you are such a fucking <laughs> I swear to God. That's all you know Ricky Morton for? Other than the fact that he took the best beatings of all fucking time? Oh, we're... Mm, uh, the reason I even uh,
2: felt comfortable asking is because I know I'm doing the first pass on editing and I you can you make thought my this is a safe
1: space no it's not a safe space <laughs> it's not fucking a safe space okay especially when it comes to ignorance about professional wrestling I swear to god if I was in the same room with you
2: I swear to god see now this is frustrating because this is so good I gotta leave it in That's uh,
1: uh, uh you better because <laughs> you better fucking leave this in I swear to god you leave this in because I uh, and let me gush about the Rock and Roll Express and their importance, especially in this feud, in this area. Now, this area that Smoky Mountain ran is just outside of where Crocco would run. Ricky and Robert would never come to their small town unless it was a, a spot show every once in a while. So the fact that the Rock and Roll Express was touring through their towns was a big deal. They were a big act. They identified with them so much and wanted to be Ricky and Robert so much. Uh, the Women thought like they were the most attractive thing ever or grew up idolizing them like a teen idol and the, here they are performing in in their own town. And then here are the gangsters beating the shit out of their their idol, Ricky Morton and Robert Gibson. Like that I mean that's just that's just it's it's a license of money in that sense. And the idea of the thing that makes professional wrestling great, you take somebody who is so beloved and them against somebody who's so hated. Now how we got to that place is can be debated as problematic or, or not, but in its essence for whatever reason to arrive to that, that, that place, they, they were at that. And the Rock and Roll Express was absolutely perfect in that. And anytime that I was ever at a, a convention or a wrestling show where Ricky Morton happened to walk by New Jack, those two would stop and they would give each other the biggest hug. New Jack, no matter how surly of a mood he was, a huge smile would come on his face as soon as he would see Ricky Morton. And just give him a big hug and talk and talk about the just like remember that one show, remember that this, remember? and just go on and on and on. And, and there's always this great story. And I think it was Ricky that told me this: is that obviously the New Jacks were not selling money on gimmicks; they were not making money on gimmicks whatsoever. But for whatever reason, like New Jack and them had eight by tens made up. So what Ricky and Robert would do was get their eight by tens and mark all over them put X's through them and, you know, scribble them all out and do all kinds of things and, and sell their pictures for them, but have them all scribbled up and then take that money and give it to New Jack and Mustafa because they were the heels and they were new. So Ricky and Robert were starting to realize, hey, these guys aren't making the money we're making. Let's help give them a little bit of our merch money. And New Jack, I think even backed that story up and said, that was the thing that helped us eat every night is that Ricky Morton stopped everything to... You know, give me a little bit of his his merch money and ensure that I was taken care of through this loop. And Ricky, being a smart like, hey, these these guys are working for us. Them beating the shit out of us is making us look great, and we've got to take care of these guys. And that's that's something that's really kind of missed in professional wrestling is the this idea that I, I need you just as much as you need me, and. It's become a very much like, oh, I did the success and I've done these things. I've worked for five long, hard years and this is why I deserve whatever it is. There's a lot of I, but there's not a lot of like, hey, this guy really helped me out. I got to make sure he's taken care of. And and also too, it's not just these new kids. It's these people that are at the top that are very selfish and and not realizing like, hey, I got to look, I got to take care of these people down below. Even though I was treated like shit, I got to look out for these guys down below and pull them up and, and do what I can. That's something that Ricky and Robert did every single time, especially for New Jack.
2: Yeah, New Jack gave a huge shout out to working with uh, the Rock and Roll Express, you know, two of the greatest ever in the game. Uh, Every wrestling fan should know, Ricky Morton, (laughs) Robert Gibson, the two. Uh, He gave a lot of credit to them because he started so late. He started at 29. He said that he would stick as close to the top guys and the really experienced guys to get that experience quicker. Like, working with more experienced guys, is, yeah, I guess he figured out early, is going to help him a lot more than working with people who were around his time into wrestling. Yeah.
0: This podcast used to be Jake and Micah yelling at me because I'm too young to see anything, and now it's going to be me <laughs> and Jake yelling at you because you're too young, so this is nice for me.
2: Oh, do you guys know anything about 2009 PWG? Because I am on that shit.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, I fucking know about PWG. Like, the place I worked at... Like was a financial backer of it. I and by the way, uh Dragon is mailing a package to my house right fucking now. So I think I know a little bit about PWG, sir. So Jake is still I'm... Au- I still author their fucking Blu-rays, <laughs> which is part of the reason why Super Dragon is able to have a job that is solely professional wrestling in just PWG. Okay, thank you very much. No, Jake. It was never contributing member. It was never... I'm a tri- <laughs> contributing member of the Gorilla Team. It was never shitting on you. We were supposed to be shitting on Nick together. (laughs) And I also, also, (laughs) have converted the entire library in digital format and and was able to put it on this streaming site, accessible to the entire world. And what thanks do I get? None. None. It's because somebody else likes to be a troll on Twitter and takes all credit for it when I did all the work over Christmas one time.
0: By '95, the gangsters were gonna uh, leave Smoky Mountain, and it wasn't the cleanest break in the world it seems like uh they just kind of dipped without really telling Cornette too much it seems
2: like they were two very combustible personalities and if it was a clean break that would have been the surprising (laughs) yeah
0: that's true all right well smoky mountain definitely put some heat behind new jack and the gangsters by june of 95 they would go to the place that would make them legends ecw And the gangsters would make their on-screen debut by attacking Public Enemy, bloodying them up real good on June 17th, 1995.
1: And what a team to start with. That's like coming in at the top. Public Enemy at 95 was as hot of an act as there could be. Uh, You still hear it today from ECW, ECW Originals in that the ECW arena is the how It's the motherfucking house that Public Enemy built. Like they were so over such a great act. And to come in at 95 and attack the public enemy, they always say debut them right at the top. That's exactly what they did.
0: 95 is such an interesting year in pro wrestling because you can go to WCW and see eight dudes still trying to be 80s hair metal band members. You can go to WWF and see two hillbillies wrestle two cowboys (laughs) Or you can go to ECW and see a legit attempted fucking murder. Like, it's just the craziest time in pro wrestling.
2: Those mid-90s seemed like there was so much tension coming from so many different places. Yeah. And the tectonic plates, when they finally moved, that was the Attitude Era. Yeah, and like that, that's a, That boom of, like, the Monday Night Wars.
1: Well, in 95, the, like, that, that tension was in ECW. Because that grittiness that I always feel wrestling needs... The only place that was doing that was ECW. So when you're not getting it from one place as a wrestling fan and you find this place that is is so gritty and it just rubs and it smolders and it, it gains in popularity to a popularity that people are still talking about it to this day. And new Jack fits perfectly in that, that realism, that authenticity. One of the reasons I don't watch WWE and like nothing, I don't want to be like, Oh shit on WWE. And that's, that's what I do because of, the, my place of current employment, that's a thing to do. But, like, the thing that's always turned me off about WWE for years, it's too shiny. Mm. It's too shiny. I think wrestling needs to be gritty. I think it needs to feel authentic and real. I know we're putting on a show, but it comes from the roots of, you know, like, the idea of making people believe something and suspend reality and feel something. You, you don't do that with bright lights and a million camera cuts to perfect gear and <laughs> like everybody wearing flashy rhinestone gear with you know entrance music with titantrons with light shows with the with ring poles that are shiny like you do that with black ring poles and ring skirts that are blowing in the <laughs> wind of a outdoor arena and canvas that's used for sometimes two shows in a row and there's a little bit of, there's a blood stain over there like some sort of authenticity some sort of grittiness to it and I think New Jack was the thing that I'd say complete ECW in the sense of his ability verbally to convey authenticity obviously the in-ring action like some of the violence that was happening there that that felt very visceral in a sense and yes you had Shane Douglas there yes you had the Ravens and the Tommy Dreamers that had unbelievable command in verbal skills as well New Jack had this different gear that once he was a part of ECW, it almost made it that much more authentic. I think he was the the final infinity stone in Heyman's gauntlet of professional wrestling that he was trying to put out in the world. This this modern day Bill Watts Memphis wrestling with nineties music, nineties ideas, and upgraded violence and updated Wrestling with Lucha Libre and the wrestling that Dean Malenko and a multitude of other stars were doing at the time, genuineness, uh, believability, all of those things. While you had that, those cartoony characters, New Jack was the thing that completed it. Like whatever you felt was going on, if New Jack got the microphone, he was going to say something from his heart, or at least something that felt there, or felt something from his soul. You, you, or at least felt that way, or make you feel that way. And and to me, it was such a no brainer. And if I of all the people that came into ECW, minus uh, everybody from before the, the Shane Douglases that gave it a little bit of credibility, Public Enemy, as I said, building the ECW arena, Raven and what his character brought to it, Sam and Sandman, minus all those everybody prior to New Jack coming in, New Jack was. I can't think of anybody post 1995 that fully formed the vision of it other than maybe Rob Van Dam and that's only because of in-ring style and the things that he did innovations wise in-ring that's the only other person I can think of from from 95 till it's closing that this person coming in it, it made that company better and more unique that wasn't already in the company in 95
0: The gangsters made their official in-ring debut at 95's Hardcore Heaven taking on Public Enemy already in the main event and traditionally, we'd kind of break down some matches on this show, but they're, they're all just chaos. So uh, we're going to touch on some, but they're all a lot of fun. The gangsters are going to lose their first official match as a uh, public enemy hit Mustafa in the back of the head with a, like a sconce or something. I don't know what it was, but uh, they, they KO him and get the pin. Like I said, uh, it's, it's going to be hard to sit here and do play by play. But something I do want to talk about is the environment that the gangsters created, with the uh, natural born killers blasting in the background, the weapons, the absurd violence. Like, uh, what what was it like to watch
1: New Jack in-, in his heyday? Well, a lot of people talk about the stage dives. We we talk about all the weapons and the music, and that's all important. But I mean, people want to talk about wrestling being fake. A lot of times, like, oh, is it real and it's fake? You see New Jack fall <laughs> from the sky. The old JR line, like, you can't fake falling from a ladder. You can't fake falling 12 feet in the sky, like, t- <laughs> onto some tables. You can't fake that. It's real. It's authentic. And if he can cut a promo and say that as opposed to, like, just do it and there's no feeling towards that. But the fact that you actually feel something about this person and he's doing that, I mean... Just makes it that much more authentic. I think it's the stage jives is really is the thing, and they had some amazing cameramen in ECW, amazing cameramen, and they had the flexibility to get the shots that they needed, and just some of those shots where they would come from a low angle and seeing New Jack just fall from the sky and land right at the cameraman's feet. It's just it such iconic images,
2: and you you wonder what makes somebody want to do that. What what makes somebody want to jump off. Uh, like a fifteen foot balcony? Is it the, the drive to be a star one day? Is it the drive to be a millionaire? No, he was coked off his fucking <laughs> ass the entire time he was in ECW.
1: Oh, so it was probably most of the locker room. And you had to be like yeah. you have you have to take your drug you have to take your drug of choice. I mean, that was the time. Like, what is your drug of choice? Is it, is it pills? Is it cocaine? Is it weed? Is it alcohol? I mean, in some cases, it's women. Like, what is the thing that drives you to continue to have that high? What is that thing that continues to make you push through the really shitty times, the lonely times, those times? You you have to have some sort of vice. You have to have some sort of totem that is yours and, and, and gets you through. And the thing that got him, as New Jack would say, is cocaine.
0: I'm on a little drug that's called love, guys. So I have no follow up for that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So the gangsters would continue working public enemy, having a proper feud, including steel cage matches, stretcher matches, street fights into 1996. The feud ended in a street fight at house party with public enemy winning. And then they left ECW to go to WCW. So that was the end of the feud. Through 96, the gangsters would start making a case for the tag team titles as they feuded with the headhunters, the eliminators. They'd receive some title shots, never quite getting over the hump. At Fight the Power, the Samoan Gangster Party made their ECW debut attacking the gangsters, and they get a little feud going. That would lead to the Samoan Gangster Party the Gangsters, the Eliminators, and the Bruise Brothers all in a four-way match at 96's The Doctor is in, which the Gangsters won to win their first-ever tag team title. And here they get, like, a straight baby face pop, like 2011 John Cena. I was shocked that the ECW fans, like, marked out that way. It was, like, so pure.
1: <laughs> well, and the thing is, too, is they were kind of seen as the guys that ran... Public enemy out of town, yeah. you know, the, the top act. They were the ones, the last few they had. And so kind of into facto, it's like, these are the new guys. And, and you know, even they came in with like all this heat. What ends up happening is if if you do a really good job of being a bad guy you, you, and you try and find new ways to piss people off, but you can only do it for so long that you, you start falling into things where you start making yourself look like a buffoon because you got to make the, the, the good guy look good. You know, you, you can't just be straight heat all the time. There has to be a situation where you got to look like a clown a little bit. And that's why I hate people like, well, I can't look stupid. And, well, it's, you're supposed to. Because you got to make the good guy look good at some point in time. Because if you just keep beating the shit out of him, what's the point to care about him? He's got to make you look silly at some point in time. And then, of course, that makes you more mad. And then that, you know, begets more violence. So, like, you got to look stupid. What ends up happening sometimes when you do make yourself look stupid, it becomes something entertaining and the more you do your job of making people mad you fall into those those spots of, of being entertaining and, and making people laugh so not only have you made him mad you made him laugh now the next emotion is love so that's what ends up happening if you've been a really good bad guy for a long period of time like there's even a, more people now that look back at Tom Brady and like man he was yeah. great no matter if you hated him the entire time there's that sense of like man Nobody ever done that before. It's fucking great. And that's how it happens when you're a wrestling bad guy. There gets to be a point where people just kind of like, man, that guy was good. And it happened with New Jack and Mustafa.
0: Wild Talk Team Champions, we're going to get to one of the first things people think of when they hear the name New Jack on November 23rd, 1996 in Revere, Massachusetts. The Mass Transit Incident. So the gangsters were scheduled to face Devon Dudley and Axel Rotten. However, Axel missed the show because he had a death in his family. Rotten was replaced with mass transit Eric Kulis, and there was also about to be a death in his family. Eric was a local guy claiming to be 23 and trained by Killer Koloski, but he ended up being a 17-year-old kid who was about to have a really bad time. Apparently, Eric also really made himself at home backstage, especially for a newbie begging for a spot. He was he was eating catering, he was smoking, and the biggest mistake was telling New Jack what he wanted to do during their match. And had he been a trained wrestler, he would have known better, but he wasn't. One of the requests he made was for New Jack to blade him, as he had never done it before, and New Jack was like, yeah, I'll cut you, bud. So during the match... New Jack pulls out a surgical scalpel on a stick. The Wikipedia article said the incision was made incorrectly <laughs> causing excessive bleeding. And I was like, yeah, that's, I guess technically that is what happened. To quote New Jack, his forehead was the pussy. He told me to fuck it, <laughs> so I fucked it.
1: Uh, this incident has been, has been talked about for years, shooter reviews, Court documents, television specials, podcasts. I I don't I don't have too much more to add about it. That's going to be anything different that hasn't been discussed. And I think New Jack kind of hits it on the head. But from what I understand, the the idea of Eric walking in the back and as surly as probably everybody was to be wrestling in Revere, which Revere was basically like I, where they wrestled, looked like a bus stop. <laughs> so like him to come in and act like this is his WrestleMania. Like anytime I wrestle somebody that is a name or has more seniority than me that I respect, I I always go up to him and I'd be like, hey man, whatever you want to do, I'm here for you. I'm here to do as much and as little as you want. And I used to say that to Scotty Tuhati all the time when I'd wrestle him. And I would say it every single time. I'm like, I am here for you. I'm here to do as much or as little as you want. Just let me know, and I'm available for whatever, whenever you want to talk about it. Now, keep in mind, I did that to Scotty Too Hotty. I sure as shit would fucking do that if I'm wrestling New Jack. What the fuck? Like, Scotty Too Hotty ain't going to fucking stab me. Like, <laughs> I, it, it's just the unawareness of that. And wrong guy, wrong time. New Jack, over the years, I think, is, is not as vilified for it. But it is a very heinous act, so it is... A very gray area uh, in professional wrestling. I, I don't know if anybody knows exactly how to feel about it. So I think that's why it's something that's so talked about.
2: I wonder what the catering situation was in 1996 backstage at ECW.
1: It had to be like the building, like uh, building. When I say building, I mean the bus stops, like hot dogs <laughs> or something like that. And that had dude, somebody <laughs> broke
2: into the vending machine. Yeah, there, and that's it. They uh, just <laughs>
1: or like it was some deal that probably Tommy Dreamer would have worked out. Like, hey, since you had a concession stand, and for an extra hundred bucks, can you just like make some extra food for the boys? Like, where is like, no, fuck him. That's an extra hundred dollars out of my pocket. Like, I I feel like that's would have been the thing. I think
2: the most disgusting thing that happened in that building that day was everyone speaking with a Boston accent. <laughs> hey, what are you, What are you doing? That's not a That's not a Boston accent.
1: Well, that, no, that's, that's Italian. That's straight up a fucking Italian. What are you? A witness protection program? I've watched like a lot that? of
2: Sopranos. That's the only one I can do. Well,
1: why don't you watch the town and come back and talk to me, Bobby? We're going to Riviera. yeah, Yeah. Yeah, Sam. Sam man's going to be there. Yeah, and Tommy's going to be there. Tom, Tom, Tommy's going to be there. Yeah, he. Yeah, he's fighting a raven. He's fighting a raven. Goddamn Stevie's going to jump in the ring with them short shorts. Oh, I want to use a gay slur on him so bad. I want to use a gay slur on that Stevie so bad. I'm going to yell it right in his face. Oh, he'll be like, go, Tommy. Go, Tommy. <laughs> Fucking knock the shit out of him. Ah, oh, Revere, love you, Tommy Dreamer. We love you, Tommy. Yeah, I get why he got stabbed now. I understand. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, in the end, uh, Mass Transit severed two arteries, got 50 stitches. New Jack was charged with aggravated assault, but he was acquitted on the old wrestling is it real defense. So, good for him. This attempted at murder, of course, made the gangsters the hottest thing in ECW. But they would end up losing their tag team titles January 4th, 97, on an episode of Hardcore TV, having a reign of 139 days. Pretty solid. Gangsters continued to feud with the Eliminators, the Dudley Boys, over the title over the next several months. At 97 Heat Wave, the Gangsters beat the Dudley Boys in a still cage to get their second title reign. Soon after, Mustafa left ECW, causing them to not only vacate the titles, but it also broke up one of the hottest and most controversial tag teams ever. Not only did Mustafa leave, but so did Perry Saturn of the Eliminators. So, partnerless New Jack and John Cronus, the uh, leftover Eliminator, formed a tag team called the Gangsternators. And uh, what do you think of uh, the Gangsternators versus the Gangsters?
1: It was definitely one of those situations that you had two of your best tag teams falling apart. And like, what do we do with these guys? Well, uh, put them together, which worked out best for a Cronus. This was kind of like the end of his run in ECW. And he had a lot of problems. I don't know a whole lot about him, but I, I can only imagine that considering how talented he was for him never to get a shot, there was a lot going on that made him not a good fit in a lot of locker rooms because in the ring he was absolutely incredible for his size and his ability, just insanely talented. And that's what just brought a different dimension to what New Jack had, which was very much a brawling blood and guts type style. And that was always the interesting thing about when the gangsters would go against the eliminators is that mesh of styles. And now you have that in a tag team itself. It's a very interesting pairing. It worked out well for both of them. Obviously, like New Jack had more legs after that because he can connect with people emotionally. Where I don't think Cronus ever found that, but in the ring, unbelievable as, as a wrestler, the things he could do. And I don't think he gets talked about enough for some of his unbelievable offense and maneuvers and his mobility with his size.
0: The Gangster Eliminators would receive a title <laughs> shot at as good as it gets. They beat the Dudley boys for Jack's third time with the gold. They lost the belts to the full blooded Italians on November 1st episode of Hardcore TV.
1: You know, Tyler Hey, what are you doing? Team. What are you <laughs> talking about the <that> full blooded <laughs> Italians for? Huh? What's the
2: problem?
0: It continued a feud with the, <laughs> the Dudleys. And this is where they pull in a little Spike Dudley, and uh, you get some new Jack Spike Dudley tag team matches. That's fun. <laughs>
1: Don't disagree. None of us disagree. (laughs) You're not wrong. You're not wrong. Just the way you said it it was just like, huh? (laughs) That was fun. Uh,
0: Jack took on Bam Bam Bigelow at Wrestlepalooza 98, which is just a weird match. Jack eats greetings from Asbury Park for the loss. Uh, He does a pretty cool balcony dive in that one. Uh, You should check out that match. And... This is kind of like a little nudge for Jack becoming a singles competitor. The uh, Gangster Naders, the, the Gangster <laughs> Eliminators. <laughs>
2: Watch those R's.
0: <laughs> they would kind of dissolve over time. And Jack would really get his little, uh, he would get a push as a singles competitor. At Crossing the Line 99, Jack brought back uh, Mustafa Said, but he swerved Brodom and uh, ended up beating him up with the Dutley brothers. Getting those two into a little bit of a feud, which uh, Jack won. He'd spend the next year just rolling along as a singles competitor. And then we get to a life-changing match for New Jack at Living Dangerously, March 12, 2000, when Jack took on Vic Grimes Part 1. There's a big spot where they're supposed to fall off of a 15-foot scaffold, but Vic got cold feet. So Jack said, fuck it, and just took Vic down with him. (laughs) They ended up missing the tables they were supposed to land on, which is bad thing number one. But then Vic Grimes, who is a massive human being, landed on Jack's head, fracturing his skull, resulting in permanent insomnia, brain damage, leaving Jack blind in his right eye, and just for fun, broke his leg. And this would put Jack out for six months.
2: But Jack did, from that point forward, get a monthly check. From insurance, uh, for the, his injuries.
0: Oh shit! Did he have the uh the contracts? What what was it?
1: Lloyd's oh, of London.
0: Yeah, there you go.
1: I don't think Lloyd's of London. Uh, I I feel like New Jack would have like filled out a quarter of the Lloyd's of London paperwork and be like, "Fuck that shit, bro." Give him the money. <laughs> he might have left the bro off. I, I think fuck fucking shit was in there, but bro may not have existed. He didn't look like a bro guy.
2: He mentioned that in a uh, little shoot interview. He crashed one of uh, Jim Cornette's shoot interviews and just brought it up out of the blue. Jim Cornette was like, how you doing? He's like, no, oh, man, ever since Vic Grimes uh, landed on me, I'm good, I get a check. I'm like, oh, shit, all right.
1: Yeah, and seeing it is just, it's very disturbing. And anybody that's had a cracked skull before, I remember CM Punk talking about cracking a skull very early in his career and how for weeks and months he had to be in a dark room all day. And, and luckily he had a friend who lived out in the, the suburbs of chicago and he basically went to go live with her and stay in her guest bedroom just with the lights off she would give him food every day but he was always nauseous he could never really eat and it's one of those things you have to wait for it to heal because it was just cracked and it, the bones have to fuse together but your brain is just kind of out there <laughs> like free to the world and you got to wait for those bones to fuse together and it messes up your sleep, it messes up your eating habits, it messes everything up, and there's nothing you really do other than just be in pain. And ugh, I, I, could have been the end of New Jack because he could have fallen prey to his vices and taken one too many pills and been like, fuck this, I can't take all this pain, and just checked out. But I must always commend New Jack for never, never going down that road at any moment in time, he's had his issues, I'm sure, but he always kept it between the rails. He may have scraped it a couple of times, but seemed to always kind of keep it in the rails there. I was
2: going to say, because it's not like he never gave into the vices. He just did it a reasonable amount.
1: He, yeah, he, you know, obviously since he's on this podcast, I, I, we'll get into like the, the death at the end, but I, it wasn't like he wanted an insane bender. Like, I think it was just mm. his body just stopped because he had too much life that's that's i think that might have been the cause of death but we'll get to it later new jack would come back for a handful of appearances
0: but he ended up taking several more months off i mean he did crack his fucking skull he returned for rills september 22nd on ecw which was at this point on tnn that's that's something
1: <laughs> your Dude. enthusiasm nick is always <laughs> off the charts as usual
0: he uh rescued spike from uh, Just Incredible and Rhino before they beat him up, and this set up a TV title match against Rhino at 2000's November to remember, but Jack lost. In his last ever ECW match, Jack beat Angel on December 17th on an episode of Hardcore TV, but at this point, ECW was kind of circling the drain. Jack got out of there and headed off to the Indies.
1: And the the last part of Jack's ECW career, he was... I know we just ran through the matches and it kind of seemed like he was just kind of there and there to put over the new stars. But he was actually a very crucial part of a lot of the house shows that would happen. It was through conversation with Steve Carino that I got to realize this and understand this. Kind of something that ECW perfected was kind of like the layout of like a really tight indie super show. Like if you're an indie promoter now. And you want to know how to lay out your show so it's an experience the entire time as opposed to we put three matches on, intermission, and then we put on 15 matches, then intermission, then 15 more matches, and like and just we got all the great wrestlers. But if you want to create your shows as an experience, look back at those ECW fan cams, and one of the things they perfected is how to really end the show in a crescendo. It'd always be a situation, it would be a main event that you, you might have seen on TV before, or you've seen a, a couple times or been in main events in other towns. Like, let's say it's Just Incredible versus Sabu. Then all of a sudden, Lance Storm comes out. Ooh, boo you, Lance Storm. Then Rob Van Dam comes out. Starts bumping a feet and bumping, yay, Rob Van Dam. Then all of a sudden, Rhino comes out. Boo. Then all of a sudden, Tommy Dreamer comes out. Yay! Mike Awesome comes out, boo, and then it just keeps stacking and stacking, and when, once a good guy comes in, you bump feed, you bump feed for him. When a bad guy comes in, all the heels beat the shit out of the babyfaces for an extended period of time. Then another good guy comes in, and then finally, about the time you got like five bad guys in there, and you beat the shit out of the babyfaces a little longer than before, and it looks like we're just going to end this show with all of the heels with their hands raised, that's when you hear... Ice cubes, natural born killers. New Jack comes out with whatever weapons he found in the back in a shopping cart, trash can, throws them all in the ring. There'd usually be a crutch. Don't know why, don't know how. There was always a crutch, which apparently was always the worst weapon. And you never wanted to get cut with a crutch. And it would usually be the second or third weapon he'd find. So if Jack Victory was ever a part of this beatdown, he'd always make a point that when New Jack threw the trash can in, go find the trash can and get hit by the trash can, and then sell out. Because you're just taking one <laughs> weapon, and you're done. So Jack would look for the trash can as it's flying that's so far out of New Jack's hand so it can't hurt you. It's just gravity fucking you up. Just take the trash can, boom, out, you're done. And then some poor bastard has to take the crutch or the computer fucking keyboard or whatever the fuck else he can find. And the show ends with a big thing. And it'd be the only time you'd see New Jack is just him coming out and beating the fuck out of everybody with weapons for five to six minutes with Natural Born Killers playing in the background. And it was how you ended just about every ECW show. Now, obviously, also, too, Sandman would be one of those guys that would do do the same. But when New Jack did it, it was clearly like everybody walking out of that arena were like, wow, we saw a great show. And there was always being like the last note of an ECW show. It'd always be fantastic.
2: That crutch was the extent of ECW's healthcare plan. It's just one crutch to be shared amongst the boys.
0: After leaving ECW, Jack would wrestle for XPW. He would wrestle for CZW. He competed in the Cage of Death 5, which I believe we talked about on Trent Acid. Not you, Tyler, because you weren't here because you're yep. a piece of <laughs> shit.
1: Yes, I know. Because he wasn't born yet when the Cage of Death <laughs> happened. Uh, that's why.
2: Was Robert Gibson in it?
1: <laughs> no, like I'm, Ricky, I'm glad he wasn't. Ricky Gibson was in it, his brother though. <laughs> but you didn't know that. Which you laugh, there was really a Ricky Gibson, and he he taught Ricky and Robert just about everything that he knows, and that's why they're so great. Fuck you, you don't know that. You probably don't, know. you probably don't even know about Ken Lucas, one of the greatest baby faces of all time. Yeah, let me
2: sit under the learning tree for a little bit, Jake. I'll I'll learn so much. <laughs>
1: Well, it's just podcast one, son. I, I've got a, I, it's like when I teach wrestling. I I know that whenever I I teach a class, there's only three things you're going to pick out of it and remember it. So but right now, I just want you to remember that the Rock and Roll Express consists of Ricky Morton. Oh, and Robert I will Gibson. never fucking forget <laughs>
2: Robert Gibson's name ever again, Jake.
1: And see, and people talk shit about me being an asshole, but me being an asshole helps you fucking learn that's how you learn stuff you make mistakes somebody yells at you it stays in there do i hate you tyler Eh, maybe but regardless (laughs) i don't i don't want to be like this but i have to be like this to educate you i don't want to feel like this it harms me my blood pressure shouldn't be this high on a tuesday but it is and here we are and you learn something so the sacrifice is mine it's good that you're getting upset about the right things too oh i I'll, if you want to know what i get the most mad about it's, it's things like that you should hear the you should hear the conversations i walk into when people are like oh who's this I'm like you motherfucker that is goddamn austin idol you show him some fucking respect he shaved jerry lawler's head fuck you
0: <laughs> then we get to february 2002 when xpw mistakenly Booked another scaffold match between New Jack and Vic Grimes, and oh boy!
2: In in the days of LimeWire, when I would download a lot of uh, old 2005 Raw entrance themes to jam out to with my (laughs) with my no friends, I downloaded this, and I thought I had you know gone through all the files, and I found the lost footage of Owen Hart falling because that's what it was labeled as.
0: Yeah, I think there's still a YouTube video titled that that is just uh, this clip. 18 months after Vic had almost killed Jack, it was time for Jack to almost kill him back. Toward the end of the match, Jack legitimately shocked Vic with a fucking taser before throwing him off the scaffold.
2: There's a great quote where Vic told Jack, I can't feel my legs. And Jack said, good, you don't need them right before he tossed him off.
0: Vic Grimes came uh, about a foot from missing the ring entirely, which for sure would have killed him. He broke his fall on the top rope. He dislocated his ankle amongst other injuries. Jack said that his intentions were to throw him so hard, he would go head first into the turnbuckle and kill him as a little payback for, you know, cracking his uh, noggin open.
1: Yeah. Another thing that Dark Side of the Ring has presented to us, is this story and this story in full? Clearly, Vic Grimes took this match and because he felt sorry. I, I feel like Vic Grimes, nobody really spent time to discuss why Vic Grimes would take this match. I feel like he felt guilty and he's like, all right, well, I fucked Jack up. I got to take this bump. They're offering me a lot of money. Hopefully, this squashes everything. Not knowing that the, the individual that he's talking to views Payback a little differently. Than he does, just a little, little, little different. Not like, hey, I'm gonna throw off a scaffold through some tables, and Jack will get some money, and I'll take a shitty bump and I'll get hurt, and New Jack will feel like the gods have abused this. No, New Jack's like, fuck him. Hope he dies. <laughs> and New Jack could have been a lot worse. Don't get me wrong. Like, I, I think New Jack's a little bit, you know, overzealous when he says I tried to kill him. I think he gave zero fucks about how he landed. I don't think he tried to overtly kill him, as he said, but I feel like he's like, let's see how much damage we can cause. As a matter of fact, I think New Jack in the, in the part of his mind, like, I hope this motherfucker lives. I want to see, I want him to live with this pain. I, I feel like that in his heart is what he was going for. And then what happened was, was mere butt cheek away from it being extremely worse. Like, the the best thing that ever could have happened to Vic Rhymes was hitting the top rope. And so you're him.
2: saying, If he wasn't this goddamn thick, he could have been killed.
1: Oh, if he, if it would have hit, because when he hit, it was like his back. If he, Mm -hmm. if he had landed on the rope in his mid back, lower back, it would have caused the momentum for him to bounce off the top rope and then go out out of the ring. But because it hits the upper and mid of his very large posterior, it bounced him back into the ring, into a pyramid of tables, which he was going at the base of, which then once he hit that, other tables fell on top of him. So not only did you fall and land on basically a steel cable, I'm surprised he didn't get cut in half like cheese, like a cheese cutter. I'm very surprised that didn't happen because that's what should have happened. Because it is a steel cable that is tightened as, as tightly as possible and then bounced into a pyramid of tables. That were meant to break his fall, but in actuality, he hit the bottom of it and the tables fell on top of him and then buried him, which took uh, the MTs to then move away just to get to him. And luckily, he didn't hit even lower on his butt and then it gave him little or no protection and he landed directly on his head and then his head explodes like a watermelon. Like one way or the other, Vic Grimes is dead and his head is exploding. That is the only outcome in the trajectory that he was following. That is the only trajectory where Vic Grimes lives. That is crazy.
0: If I would have inconvenienced New Jack in any way, you would have never heard from me again, much less cracked his skull. I would have been one of Tyler's Boston Italians and (laughs) witnessed protection for the rest of my life. If I would have got him a coffee with two sugars instead of one.
1: Jack, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Jack. I'm sorry.
0: Now he's Canadian. I got this
1: envelope. I got an envelope. I got this lope for you right here three thousand dollars sorry goodbye (laughs) never see you again
0: next infamous match in april 03 new jack was in a hardcore match with longtime wrestler gypsy joe and i guess joe's gimmick was that he doesn't sell offense so that and he accidentally stiffed jack in the nose with a headbutt made New Jack angry, and you're not going to like New Jack when he's angry.
1: Uh, actually, Nicholas, uh, I hate to correct you. I know you very like, an extensive amount of research. Actually, Gypsy Joe's gimmick uh, at the time was he is an immobile old man and can't do anything <laughs> properly. That was actually his uh, gimmick at the time. This promoter is a scumbag for booking this match because I don't know what the fuck you were thinking. You knew who Gypsy Joe was. You knew who New Jack was. This was not going to turn out well for anybody. It was going to make people feel uncomfortable because it's a real goddamn fight. Excuse me, Jake. Are you saying that the this man sold out
2: this arena and it was not worth booking this match?
1: Oh, gosh, no. The, the 30 people that saw this, <laughs> uh, I hope that scumbag promoter got all the, his money's worth out of the, the footage. I hope every documentary had to pay this man money for it because this guy was a scumbag and he was trying to do something and makes money off this poor old man of Gypsy Joe, who is a very tough individual, don't get me wrong, clearly is a tough individual because he took a little baseball bat to the head and just shrugged it off. Much like he shrugged off anybody's wrestling offense at the time. Uh, I actually saw Gypsy Joe a couple years after this. Yes, he was still upright and walking around and still wrestling. And Gypsy Joe's whole thing was, he, you know, he's not going to sell all that much as an old man. Is not that mobile. Um, he's not all quite there mentally also as well. He's just going to get in there, lock up with you, wring your arm a couple times, chop you in the chest. You you put the boots in a little bit, and then he grabs and puts you in a sleeper, and that's about it. That's what you do with Gypsy Joe. But this guy's like, nah, Gypsy Joe's a tough old man. I'm going to get another tough man in here in New Jack. I don't think Brett Lauderdale has enough need to create something that's such a spectacle. Like, I don't know if Brett Lauderdale would book... Gypsy Joe and New Jack. I think even here we go, whoa, I don't want to touch that. And and he's been like, fuck it. Let's send Alabama doink in there with a bunch of people. Fuck it. Let's, these guys that are doing flips in Walmart, put them in there with trained wrestlers. Fuck it. And he's created a very successful GCW and created wonderful spectacles and Joey Janela has perfected the, the art of the car wreck wrestling match. And I think even those guys would be like, you know what? Probably shouldn't do that. So that's that's probably in bad taste. But this scumbag in fucking Tennessee or wherever the fuck it is. Fuck him. I don't care about wrestler safety. I don't give a fuck about Gypsy Joe. I know these guys are just going to take it for money. Fuck them because I'm a fucking scumbag.
0: After being the shit out of a 69 year old with a bat, <laughs> New Jack was also working in TNA during the uh, year of 03, and uh, it seems like the highlight of this was him tag
1: teaming with Shark Boy. I remember Shark Boy like posting pictures about it, like shortly after Jack's death, and the wrestling world going, "Oh my god, why did we not watch Impact Wrestling or TNA during this time? This was so <laughs> awesome. We missed the boat on this. Just seeing." New Jack come out with the the Shark Boy mask. Like New Jack, like understands like who he is, and he understands if he puts a little bit of levity to his situation, that hey, people will get a real good kick out of this, and this is protects me from falling down several times. Sure, let's go do it.
0: Next infamous Jack match in october 2004 new jack was wrestling for thunder wrestling federation and was scheduled to fight william jason lane in jacksonville florida during the match lane started uh hitting new jack with some legit punches and yep don't want to do that new jack pulled out a knife and went all stabby <laughs> mcpokerson on him knifing him nine times
2: Uh, A direct quote from New Jack. Uh, They said 14, but I counted nine times. I watched the fucking tape. And can you please use his worker name, Nick?
1: What the fuck was it? It's like something. Hunter Red. Hunter Red. I knew it was Red something. (laughs) You know, nothing good ever happens in Jacksonville. That's what I'll say. Um, (laughs) Mm. I, I will stand on that. Nothing. Nothing good has ever happened there. No good wrestling to see there whatsoever. None whatsoever. <laughs> Unless it happens at Daly's place next to TIAA's field where you have the soon-to-be Super Bowl champions, Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, soon soon to be. Soon to be. Soon <laughs> oh, That's be. the
2: best joke so far.
1: <laughs> uh, hey, old Dougie P. He's fearless. Fearlessly <laughs> lead. The Golden Locks Trevor Lawrence to the Super Bowl. I mean, that, that, that and... Maybe this small company that uh, employs wrestlers in office positions. Thunder Wrestling. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The, the, this. Yes, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Thunder Wrestling. Jake, we don't want to.
2: We, we don't. We don't want to be accused of being biased.
1: Oh, I'll be biased. All you want. I, <laughs> I have a check. I have a check sitting right on my desk right here. I was just, I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I got a check. I, I know this is an audio format, but we're recording this on Zoom. I'm holding up a check right now. That, Why don't uh, you have direct
2: deposit? Are you you're 400 years old?
1: Uh, no. Uh, there was actually a, a sidebar, a little mm. bit of an accounting issue uh, that we're resolving, and I'd rather not discuss it right now. Okay. But I'll just say this. Uh, they treat me too well. <laughs> so, Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, they, the, there's a, a discrepancy in my favor, and... I love this company too much. I'm going to point that out to him.
0: The old uh, Monopoly, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, it's like the opposite of Paul Heyman.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, I, I definitely, definitely the opposite of Paul Heyman for sure. So uh, they're a very good company. I want them to continue on being successful and continuing me having a place and a purpose in professional wrestling because we know that all good wrestling dies in Jacksonville. Look at Thunder Wrestling. I love
2: this promoter. For one line that they, they interviewed him and uh, they said, you know, whenever Jack was coming through Jacksonville, he'd always stay at my place. And, you know, he's a real funny guy. He's a real nice guy, too. Good cook. And I go, <laughs> what, is he, what does he cook? And he goes, spaghetti. And the way that he says it is amazing. I want, I, I want to get a sound clip of that and put that in
1: right there. of Just him saying spaghetti. Any examples of, like, what are the things he would cook? Spaghetti. Oh, and I, I got to tell you, I think about this every time. I make a good plate of spaghetti too. Oh, and ever since seeing that dark side of the ring, I uh, I have always made my spaghetti. My girlfriend loves my spaghetti. She's always like, oh, please, can we can you make Jake spaghetti? And sometimes when I get back <laughs> off the road. Like, sometimes it's like a Thursday night thing. Like, you know, we don't want to go out to eat or order Uber Eats. And like, so can, you, can you make Jake's spaghetti? I'm like, of course. Of course. I, lo- I, I love you to death, sweetheart. I'll make Jake's spaghetti. But every time I sit down and I start eating my spaghetti and I go, mm, this is good. I made it exactly the way I wanted to. The, the next thought that enters my mind after my thought of, like, how good that spaghetti is that I make, the next thought that I have is... I wonder if my spaghetti is better than New Jack's. Every time. <laughs> and this is, a, this is an every week occurrence. I always have to ask myself, is my spaghetti as good as New Jack's? Gosh, I would love to know that. I would love to be in a spaghetti cook-off with New Jack. That is, I think that's the one thing that this world has missed. I have missed my opportunity to wrestle Brad Armstrong, and I have missed my opportunity to have a spaghetti cook-off against New Jack. I feel like... I gotta know. It's gonna be the thing that drives me crazy the rest of my life because I make a good plate of spaghetti too. And I want to see where it stacks up next to New Jack. I want to see what he does. Like I'm, I'm working with some good Iowa meat too. So Ooh. I, I got my, I know how to use garlic properly. I know how to use the olive oil. I'm, well, I'm saying this right to to Nick Alexander, who's a professional chef in Hollywood, <laughs> California, and he's rolling his eyes at me.
2: Uh, <laughs> You're also saying this to someone who is a full-blooded Italian.
0: <laughs> oh, hey Boston, forget about it. <laughs> so unlike mass transit, Jack would get charged here uh, for some felonies, but he got out of it. Hunter Red over there said that uh, he'd drop all the charges if Jack would just take him out on the road, which Jack agreed to. And then after the charges were dropped, he would dipped. <laughs> he just ghosted him.
2: That's some 4D chess. That was. Uh, I, know. I don't feel bad for
0: Hunter Red at all. He got worked. Following this, it's not only just a shit ton of indie dates, but he also got into uh, stand up comedy, which I'm going to just let this lead into some uh, closing Jake Manning stories.
1: Oh, and, and this is why we're doing this episode. It has to be because, you know, a lot of times we do episodes with people that I've never had interactions with, but, you know, when you get somebody like New Jack, we've had. A dark side of the ring on we've had numerous podcasts, numerous shooter interviews. like, what else is there to discuss? What could we contribute to this education of New Jack? Well, ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to the sweet and soothing voice of a man who produced, directed, edited, and filmed new Jack's comedy special. yes <laughs> New Jack. Apparently, while he was in Atlanta, he was dating Terry Reynolds at the time. I don't know. Do we want to get into that right now? Can we just go ahead and say that that happened and know that everybody has heard about the court cases and the Twitter arguments (laughs) and the Tumblrs and the Reddit and the dark web discussions that exist between Terry Reynolds and New Jack? They were a couple and they were living in Atlanta. And New Jack, obviously being very good verbally, went to a comedy show and decided he wanted to do that. And from what I understand, the, the owner of the punchline or the booker of the punchline, I'm not sure if that's the exact same person or not, but it's definitely a guy who I saw years later when I did the punchline open mic when it moved. But New Jack was going to the old punchline, the old famous punchline where Jeff Foxworthy was like getting a start very early in Georgia. He would go there and do and started working his set. And then the owner of this comedy club, of course, loves money like any owner of a comedy club does. And saw somebody that could draw a crowd for him and thought WrestleMania weekend, when WrestleMania was in Atlanta, that New Jack would do the late show because Roddy Piper was doing the early show. <laughs> you know, they gave New Jack basically an hour long show. No opening comedian. They just gave New Jack an hour to go out there and do his thing. And, you know, he had help from, I think, the Booker or one of the guys that probably teach the comedy classes to kind of help him work his set out and his jokes. And I filmed the whole thing. We also filmed. Some stuff with him and Terry, where New Jack would take Terry to basically the, the places, I don't want to say ghetto because I, that, that sounds, you know, derogatory. So then Terry Reynolds took New Jack to a high-end cigar bar and there they, they filmed little skits of this and I intermixed it in between kind of the dead areas of the set so it seemed to flow a little bit better. I, so I took a lead from American Hustle and Cat Williams and kind of intermixed it that way. And it's released on DVD. It's available on Pivot Share. I feel like I could probably release it on our Patreon if we ever activate that again. I think I don't have a problem uh, taking that from my former employer. Uh, (laughs) So we could put that out if you guys want to see that. But it's actually, I haven't seen it since I started doing comedy. Nick, I don't know if you've seen it.
0: I watched it a couple years ago.
1: Yeah. What were your thoughts on it?
0: I was just so fucking overwhelmed that it was new Jack doing stand-up comedy that I don't remember <laughs> anything else about it. But I remember it was fine.
1: I, yeah, exactly. That's how I, I think it was fine. I think it was very hack material. But I think he understood like what stand-up comedy was. And I think this was his first attempt at something. Yeah. And I feel like if he would have stuck with it and maybe honed his craft...
0: I have no doubt that he would have been a really good stand up if he put the work in. Yeah, for sure. Yeah,
1: I, I, I totally agree. I don't know. It's one of those things where like, you know, you've, you've been successful at something for so long and like, do you really want to stow it over on something else? Yeah. Like that's a conversation you kind of have to have like, well, I could go make a quick buck over here doing the thing I kind of did before and do appearances off of what I used to do. Or do I just start all over again and work my way back up and dedicate the same amount of time as I just did with this other thing that I can go make a quick buck on. It's kind of one of those things where I definitely feel like if he would have put the work in, he would have been very fantastic. I think he understood what it was enough, but obviously he had, he had to put his time, much like he had to put his time in wrestling. And it was it was very interesting to see him and his relationship with Terry. Uh, I have my opinions about that relationship, and I, I don't know if I would share them in public in such a way, but huh. I but I, I, can't be anything worse than what they said in depth positions. So, yeah, it was it was a very odd pairing, but seeing him try to do stand-up and do comedy, and I remember him being a part of some Daily Show bits, so I, I think it was there and it was in his mind, and it was this thought process. I just, I don't know if he was willing to put in the work necessary, and I think that's why you see him do that and then float back into Doing wrestling appearances and doing wrestling things again because it, he obviously recognized that it's a lot of hard work and it, and if, if that's what he did is recognize how much hard work it is then I applaud him and realizing like hey all this hard work isn't for me as opposed to you know what I I could I could book a room on a Tuesday night in a club and take a night away from a comic or I could just not do this so more more hats off to him for that yeah that's my experience I highly recommend that people go check that out. It's an interesting thing. As Nicholas says, it's seeing New Jack do stand up is it's fascinating. It's definitely unique and it's very overwhelming to see. But I got to spend a lot of time with New Jack and I was always made sure that I gave him the ample amount of respect whenever I'd have a camera and film something and get his input and ask what he wanted to do and did things exactly how he wanted to do it. And I never had an issue with New Jack because I made a point to make him feel comfortable with whatever I'm doing and whatever he wanted done. I made sure I got done of course a lot of the person I was mostly dealing with was Terry. because she was very hands on on everything new Jack related at the time but um I never had an issue with new Jack because I always gave him the ample amount of respect, but also too I you know respected that he this shit could go sideways real fast real soon, so I always was always ready for that, and I think he sensed that and just Gave me the same amount of respect, so never had an issue with him. And it was kind of a a bummer when we actually did a virtual gimmick table with him, and he was definitely not the same new Jack. He had just had foot surgery, and I think he was very highly medicated. I don't think I'm telling tales out of school. He was very, very medicated at the time, but he was in a lot of pain. It hurt every time he took a step, so... He dealt with that pain uh, the way that he's dealt with all the pain in his life. And when we put him on camera, it was it was not good. I had high hopes for it. I think anybody that saw that virtual gimmick table that we did kind of expected something more out of it than what it was. And you would not be alone because that's what I was kind of hoping for. I was hoping for the new Jack that I hung around with and rode around in Atlanta with. Like that's the Jack that I was hoping to spend time with and I didn't get it. And it's kind of a bummer. But from what I understand... The appearance he did shortly after I left, I mean, he was much more lucid. It seemed like he was coming out of it and his foot was feeling better, so he wasn't self medicating as much. And that's what I said. Like, that's what you, you see with New Jack. Like, you don't hear these stories about he had to be rushed to the hospital because he OD'd. You know, obviously he was under the influence, but he could always figure out, like, hey, I got to do this because I'm in a tremendous amount of pain. Once I get over this pain, I'll pull it back in. You know, much like he realized he was in a bad situation and. Went back to, like, I had to go to college. Or, hey, I'm in a bad situation. I need to figure out a way to make money. Here's bounty hunting. Here's professional wrestling. Here's these things. You know, hey, my body's getting beat up. Let's try comedy. That's ah, a lot of work. Let's go make a quick buck and then reassess. Like, very smart man, very self-aware is, is how I always saw him. And I wish I would have saw that towards the end. But from what I understand, he, he did eventually get there.
0: New Jack would wrestle up to uh, 2019 and it was uh, an ankle injury that essentially pretty much ended his career according to a uh, good old cage Looks like he did have this one-off match in uh, 2021 in April, but uh, by the time the pandemic hit, New Jack had actually settled down. He became a, a family man. He even started a podcast with the Tommy Thomas called New Jack Safe Space. Uh, it's still floating around out there. If you want to uh, check that out? Then, uh, sadly, on May fourteenth, twenty twenty-one, New Jack died of a heart attack at his home in Greensboro, North Carolina, at the age of fifty-eight, and the world said goodbye to one of the most hardcore motherfuckers to ever walk it. Final thoughts on Mr. New Jack?
2: New Jack scared me but he was also a nice man
0: that it short and sweet yeah
2: that was all right. i i don't have as, as close of a relationship as jake so i was gonna lead and take uh, the.
1: but at the same time too that's the rules that i played off of you know you hear all these things and you hear all these scary things and you hear about people that have reputations in professional wrestling but oftentimes when you interact with those people come to find out if you just show them a little bit of respect they're cool with you just show him respect, and he deserves it. As I said, as as ballsy as he was with the O.J. promo, the way that he put his body on the line for ECW, and everything he went through, and over the years from the, like him struggling to say he's trying to get out of the business, and his parlays into the business, and all these people saying, oh, you know, he'd be really good. Yeah, maybe not a leading man, but maybe he's Denzel's best friend, you know, and beyond the mat, and all these times that people tried to get him into Hollywood, and. Like, he could have had potential to go out and do other things, but I don't know if his heart was ever in it like professional wrestling. And I think he always realized that, and I feel like he always felt trapped by professional wrestling in that he wished, you know, like, he didn't love it as much. That was always a sense that I got. I don't think he'd ever admit that, but I, I think deep down inside, he loved professional wrestling and the way that he talked about the things he did with Ricky Morton and and other, like, wrestling like old school wrestling that he would see. I I feel like he really did love professional wrestling, but he kind of tragically like felt trapped by it in a sense. And I would have liked to seen him break outside of that. And I think if he just would have put a little, a little more work here or put some work into it, maybe, maybe would have saw those gains, but at the same time too, he left a body of work that we can all sit back and go, wow, I can't believe he did this and something we can really, really be proud of. He did something very unique. He pushed the boundaries of what is acceptable, and I think wrestling is better for it. I, I think his imprint in professional wrestling is will be felt for years to come, and I think it'll be looked back and a feeling and a vibe. You look somebody, look at somebody like an Eddie Kingston. You know, look at somebody like that. That authenticity. Do do we get somebody like an Eddie Kingston if we don't have somebody like a New Jack to kind of give him an idea or somebody to be like? Oh, you can do that. You can't say that. You can't talk about those things. You can get that dark. You can get that real. I think his influence on, on wrestling will stand the test of time because he made people feel something.
0: I know everyone doesn't like New Jack, especially if you were attempted murdered by him. I know not every wrestling fan loves this style. A lot of people don't appreciate the real life violence that he brought into the ring with them. And honestly, that is all fair. But in Jack's, like, niche, he is a fucking icon. You can argue the Nick Gages, the Nick Mondos, Foley, Funk, and some other guys. But, man, in a world of hardcore, New Jack was the real fucking deal. And like we mentioned, he's just so fucking funny. And I think you get forgiven for a lot of shit when you're that funny and just likable. He had some this intimidating charisma about him. And I like to think that if I'm ever in a situation where I have to cut a bitch that a little piece of new Jack is inside of my heart and a little piece of new Jack is inside of your heart. God bless new Jack. God bless knives and God bless America. <laughs> All right. Holy shit. We did an episode of Tim Bell pod. That's fun. By the time you are listening to this, well, I guess our social media never went away. You know where to find us at Tim Bell pod everywhere. Tim Bell pod on Facebook. The day after this, the Patreon should be up with a uh, bonus episode. So, yeah, I don't know. Thanks for listening. I'm I'm sorry that we just disappeared for a year and uh, three months, but that's a long story. I'm sure we'll get to it at some point. Um, you guys got anything before... Uh we leave.
2: I appreciate you guys having me on to be a part of this. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, if anybody listening doesn't like me as much as the first Aunt Viv, uh, <laughs> I'll have, you know, I'll try to make it up to you.
1: You'll be fine. You'll you'll be okay. I just have to educate you slowly and aggressively. <laughs> Tyler, you'll be fine. But as always guys, follow me on social media. I may be taking breaks here and there, but, uh, one thing I won't take a break on is my new pro wrestling tees store with, uh, Art and slogans come up by the Grandmaster himself, Nick Alexander. <laughs> Every time he says something cool, I will make it a T-shirt immediately. Um, so if there's one particular you like, uh, tweet at me, at Manscout Manning, uh, or follow me on Instagram. But most importantly, give the the Patreon and 10 Bell Pod. Uh, Nick does a tremendous, a tremendous amount of work, and he doesn't get enough of a thank you from me. Um, he definitely doesn't get enough of a thank you from Tyler cause he has no idea or comprehension <laughs> whatsoever of the work that's put in by Nick or Ricky Morton and Robert Gibson. Um, knows nothing of that, but, uh, Nick work, works hard on all this and benefiting to the Patreon, following us on Instagram and liking the Facebook and, and every time something comes out hitting that share and retweet, I know it, brightens up nick's day since we've had this long hiatus i will get updates from nick like hey even without us doing it this is many people listened like he still is very much connected to this podcast so any success that comes from it uh, all the glory should go to him and hopefully you can make him feel validated wanted and uh, feel good about himself for doing something and doing all the hard work that he did. He del- he's known about this for a month now, and he's like, I need another half an hour to make sure that this show is just right. So he, he puts in way too much work for me to just yell at Tyler this entire time. So uh, please support the pod as much as possible from the bottom of our hearts. It'll mean us tremendously, and leave reviews. It always helps on Spotify, iTunes, or Apple Podcasts, or whatever it is now, so.
0: I appreciate that, and I also appreciate all you fuckers who never stopped DMing me, tweeting at us just constantly. I don't quite know how we're going to do this yet. We're thinking of 10 episode seasons, so don't freak out if we stop at 10 shows back, but we'll keep you guys informed, and until next show.